If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs, talk about songs. For episode number 223, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship. I mean, I've been your co-host for the other episodes too, but I felt like mixing it up. And this, of course, is Mark and Sarah talk about songs with me today, as she has been so many times in the past. In fact, you could say every time in the past is my squid inky co-host sarah d bunting hello sarah mark i have a question for you oh god yes i think i'm ready do you want to rock right now oh my god yes how did you know um because your name is rob bass and i have heard that you came to get down (laughs) that i came to do what now get down. and here's the thing I do have some friends in other countries, but I would say, generally speaking, I am not internationally known, but that's okay. But you are known to rock a microphone, because you get stupid. I mean, outrageous. Okay. And also, in this pandemic time, stay away from me if you're contagious. <laughs> All of them without masks. I'll stop. Um, okay. <laughs> it It is probably obvious to many of you that we are discussing uh, the late 80s hit, from Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, although it wasn't as hitty as it was like omnipresent in my late high school life, as it turns out. We can get into some chart facts later. It will take more than two chart facts. Oh, oh. But we, are, we are talking about It Takes Two. Uh, I think that we should um, stop reciting the song and being annoying and hear a clip of this excellent track. What say you? I say, I. (laughs) So what? I don't care. (laughs) My name is Rob. I got a real funky concept. Listen up, because we're going to keep you in step. I got an idea that I want to share. You don't like it, so what? I don't care. I'm number one, the uno. I like punk. Bring all the suckers, because all of them I'll stomp. Don't neglect, but I will protect. All of my followers, because all I want is respect. I'm not a boxer, but the man who rocks her. A slick brother that can leave the outfit. Um, I have so many things 
to say that they are all bottled up at my uh, throat and can't really get out. So if you would like to talk for a while, uh, that would be great. I will just say that it took two. Uh, It took several listens to this, um, which is just like in my DNA at this point, to realize just how like sexy and appealing Rob Bass's voice is. Mm. Because there's like, I feel like the clarion or sort of trademark aspect of the song is not his voice, which is a pity. Uh, Like it's his rhymes, it's the sample, it's the beat, it's all the like, woo, going on. Um, There's sprung rhythm happening. You you know how uh, Buncey likes her (laughs) some uh, 80s and 90s hip hop slash Gerard Manley Hopkins shit. Um, There's really a lot going on. Almost all of it is good. I don't understand the can't stand sex yes line still over 30 years later. I don't really know what's happening in Rob Bass's pants or not happening. But uh, yeah, this song remains a banger. I regret nothing about putting it on a gazillion mixtapes. Mark, tell me your feelings and thoughts. Well, first, let me say that he's not saying that he can't stand sex. He's actually saying he can't stand cess, which is slang for sensimia, which is slang, which is a type of marijuana. The things I learn <laughs> that has just changed my entire um I was gonna say childhood, but really that really that really makes a big difference. Yes, because that's part of the because then the pr- the prior couple or line phrase is don't smoke Buddha. And yeah, there that is I got. a there is a really illuminating Rolling Stone interview that he did in 2018, our Mr. Rob Bass about this song and he clarifies the what he's saying there because he says that for his entire life since that song came out people have been asking him why he can't stand sex and he's like that's not what i said um the other <laughs> thing that he clarifies to the, that to the base family and estate for that <laughs> mix up but the other thing that he clarifies that is also just so obvious to anyone who listens to the song with any kind of intentionality is that he basically made up these lyrics on the spot the night before he went into the studio. And for me, I will say, even as someone who has professed many times to think that intentional, beautiful lyrics are always a key to glory, I think the tossed-off quality of the lyrics in this song make it a masterpiece because it really does feel like that you're just having a conversation with a friend who's clowning on you like, you know, that really fun I mean, party. The, no. Oh, section yeah. that you're just like, where do we, does he even know where we are? Yeah. And DJ Easy Rock is like, pull it together, man. Pull it together. And he does. You talking to me? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> but like, that is what makes this song so much fun because it feels like you're at a really fun party where the buzz is just right. And the someone is up there scratching the turntable, in this case, the late uh, lamented DJ Easy Rock, and somebody grabs the mic, and nobody is out there thinking, I am about to make a fortune. Nobody is out there thinking, I am going to change the world. They're just having a really good time. And I think that's one of the reasons this song has remained so awesome, is that there's no sense in this song that it is going to become an industry, that it's going to become a hit. Because at the time, in 1988... Hip-hop really had only just started to break through 
into the larger mainstream. So hip hop wasn't even actually a viable business model, really, at this time. And so this kind of goofy shit, it's just so organic feeling and natural. And I just don't think, for better or worse, that you could really have any song in a major popular genre sound this tossed off anymore because I just think we're all too aware of audience now. And that's fine. There's lots of great music being created every day. But one of the things that I think is magical about this song is it really taps into the lost era of just clowning. Uh, Yeah, just like this is a party rap battle that's not serious, but this is a guy who is like known to rock a microphone. Um, Yes. That that he can spit off the cuff um, like crazy. And he like he stays up on the tightrope for most of the song. And that's one of the things that I think is so um, uh, demanding of respect in hip hop is that you have I was thinking about this the other day vis-a-vis Top Chef. Hold hold on to your butts. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bring it back around, m- much like Rob Bass does in the song. Um and the the um, most recent chef to be eliminated, uh, Dan and I were just sort of looking at each other and we're like, you know. Oh, I actually are... haven't seen this episode yet. So thank you for keeping it uh, vague. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have uh, been screamed at for spoiling things so many times that I now am like extra careful. Um, the most <laughs> recently eliminated chef testin is one who we really felt like and they were saying as much in Talking Head interviews. Um they were like not cut out for this mm. um, competition because I think Top Chef test skills that it's sort of like that SAT where like what is what are your results on the SAT prove that you're good at taking the SAT? Correct. And like probably that you're white and getting three squares a day and have a certain, you know, lived experience of the white canon. Anyway, it's like. I think Top Chef doesn't always, uh, quote, test for um, the work of chefs who are more, um, like, left brain, I guess? Mm. Or which one is the, which one is the planny organizing one? Left brain. Okay. Um, And more like, I need weeks and months to develop flavors in this dish. And, like, that kind of chef is not well served by this competition and it's been interesting to me watching this season so far that's top chef portland um and watching uh last chance last chance kitchen as well that the show seems to be like more aware of that fact about itself um and more uh i don't know what the word is compassionate towards contestants who are like you know you're a really good chef but you're not a you're not good at top chefing Mm -hmm. so this is bringing it back to the two um axes along which hip-hop lyrically can be judged that there's all this room for um like thoughtful developed lyrics that are like a you know, one pot meal or a gumbo Mm -hmm. that has been sitting in the slow cooker for a couple of days or masters of barbecue, for example, not something I could really speak to as a vegetarian, but 
fine. And there's also being able to get up on the mic or grab your knives in Last Chance Kitchen and put together this amazing complete narrative idea in 20 minutes or in the case of hip hop in two and a half minutes. Right. And I think that's something that's really cool to think about that you have those two skill sets and like any other creative endeavor, there's like a package of skill sets that you're called on and not everybody has all of them usually. But to, to realize that Rob Bass just sort of came into the studio and was like, Hey, bears a big fan. Um, like, I guess we're going to see what happens. Like I, I wrote some of this stuff down on like the back of a receipt and we're, <laughs> yeah. And I I brought the receipt, and we're going to Well, and judging see... by the lyrics, he wrote it on the back of a receipt for a Whopper he got at Burger King, because fuck the yeah, Big Mac. Yeah, fuck the Big Mac. Um, but it, yeah, that's so... It, I mean, it's fascinating, and having just put together a playlist for a Patreon supporter, hello, Tim, um, of late 80s, early 90s hip-hop, and looking at the different um, styles and sort of the sense of like... Def Jeff is it's like really hard to tell because it feels completely fresh and like he's just thinking of stuff um as he's as he's rhyming but these these are rhymes that are like really complex and sort of uh, have sprung rhythm and flow into each other and double back villanelle styly so that's a third yet skill is making stuff that you like poured over with like graph paper and shit sound like it just came to you, which mm-hmm. Def Jeff is really good at. Um, and then there's the fact that vintage hip hop, like a lot of this stuff, like you just had to sort of get it on the first try because there, it wasn't all like computerized, like JVC force, like the, you know, Kurt Cazell was like cutting and scratching like live to, to tape. They weren't like putting that shit in after, so um, hip hop is uh, deceptively sort of simple seeming in its effects, but incredibly complex and uh, um, almost um, not forbidding, but like, uh, I don't know, like sometimes I sort of sidle up to a song and I'm like, am I smart enough to talk about you? Because there's a lot of shit going on here and I only have a bachelor's. And I think the fact that all of that complexity existing in a song that is also this effortlessly, timelessly enjoyable is a type yeah. of popular music magic. That it can be it so really that it can be so dense and layered and re- and really reward the type of close attention that you just gave it, but also make everyone at every wedding reception in the history of time feel instantly better is uh, incredible. Yeah. I mean, I have a longing to be in someone's fucking humid as fuck backyard in Jersey in August when everyone's just been frizzy for what felt like a year and a half and you're drinking out of solo cups and this comes on somebody's like crappy boombox and you're like all of you are just jumping around like you're in the House of Pain video and it, like it is it is magical, but then it, it isn't. Like a lot of craft and thought and talent went into that, that seemingly 
like lightning in a bottle moment that probably was anything but like yeah rob base didn't do a whole lot of a whole lot of planning but this is someone who had an excellent sort of internal um compass for what was going to work obviously and then their partnership and it taking two which i i assume that's the two he's talking about is him and his i mean yeah sure I also feel like it's possible that they just thought that the sample of these of these songs that they were mashing up was cool and they were like it takes two great. <laughs> I was really surprised also to learn in my research that this uh song has been sampled by um conservatively one gazillion hip hop. I know it's songs. such an interesting palimpsest because and this huge song huge ones too. Not like some you know not some like obscure B-side like Push it. De La Soul's Jennifer. It's on Radio Song by R.E.M. Kanye's used it like three times. <laughs> like, well, and uh, mean, and yeah. Seduction, Michelle Visage's trio, it's sampled in their big hit, uh, Two to Make It Right. Like, literally every, there's a, mm. there's a, uh, there's a hit song by the Black Eyed Peas that samples this song. And the palimpsest quality of it is very interesting to me because underneath that is the fact that it takes two itself is built on a sample of a song called think about it by Lynn Collins. And that song has its roots in a James Brown that yeah. Woo part is like a James Brown thing. So there's mm-hmm. just, you really can dig down into like the, the basalt of the entire world uh, getting to the bottom of where this song comes from. And that's one of the reasons I also really like it is like, it's authored by a million people, but belongs to Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. Yes. Agree. I, I mean, I am, I'm surprised that I actually had this much to say about this song because it is one of those egg songs. that's like from the outside, like it's very um, smooth and self-contained and then you crack it open and it's like, you know, name your meal. And it's well, you know what? That's you. actually that's another thing. The way that you just described that, I just had this idea, uh, image in my mind of cracking cracking open a Cadbury egg. I don't mm. know why, but the fact that it actually coheres so beautifully when there are roughly five million ingredients, again, it's like magical. The the fact that we have talked before on this show many times about songs that feel effortful, mm-hmm. like Train comes to mind. Yeah, for God's sake. And it, like you, I just, I, I know that I'm repeating what you've now said, but I just, I've never really thought about this way before. That how fucking incredible that this song is built of a thousand Frankenstein parts. That, and yet it feels when you hear it, it's like it's this, it's the kind of song that when you hear it, you're like, it could only ever be this. It just sounds so perfect as itself. Yeah. Destiny. So it actually took a million to make a thing to go take right. two. Hmm. And then, and then you could also sort of um, think of it in a meta way that, like, the two in question is the song and the listener. Oh, shit. And it that the song is not two. complete until that experience of hearing it and um, jumping around like you have a bee up your short leg. So I... I want to talk about some chart facts about this song in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about Tim. 
Hi, Tim. You were mentioned earlier, and thank you so much for being a patron of our show. And because you are a patron at the Allison Krauss level, your patronage comes with your very own pop chart astrology reading. Yes, that is what happens when I take a song that was number one on an important date in your life and use it to extrapolate your destiny. And Tim, you have asked if I can do a birthday reading for you. Your birthday is October 16th, 1977, and you're in luck. I can do that. I mean, you're probably not surprised, but still. The song, <laughs> Tim, that was number one on the day that you were born. Now, before we go any further, remember, it doesn't, it's not about liking the song that was number one on the day <laughs> that you were born. It's about understanding what it has to say about your destiny. And by that, <laughs> oh, I mean the song boy. that was number one on the day that you were born was Debbie Boone's You Light Up My Life. Let's hear a clip. I, I just would like to break in here and say that I had forgotten the tootling. I know. I, and somehow in listening back to that clip right now, the tootle was the loudest tootle that ever did tootle. I, yeah, it's tootalicious. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so Tim, there are so this song is actually packed with chartological meaning. For one thing, Debbie Boone is the daughter of Pat Boone, purveyor of white bread's pop music from the 50s she is now the purveyor of white bed pop music of the late 70s uh debbie boone's only hit was in fact this song that won the oscar for best original song because it was the theme of a movie with the same title and this song also along with being an oscar winner earned debbie boone herself the grammy for best new artist Oh, and God. was number one for 10 weeks, meaning it was the longest running number one hit of the entire 1970s. Any BG song? Nope. Wasn't as wasn't number one as long as this. Any Stevie Wonder song? Nope. Wasn't number one as long as this. <sighs> hey, so even though De 70s, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I know Seriously. I'm from you, but fix your shit. So even though Debbie Boone never had another hit. She wrote this one song to a Grammy, to 10 Weeks at Number One, and the songwriter Joseph Brooks won an Oscar for it. Now, the aftermath of this song is also very interesting. Quick sidebar, Joseph Brooks went on to write one of the most roundly reviled Broadway musicals of all time called In My Life, in which the lead character has Tourette's, and there's a whole subplot about a giant lemon that drops from the sky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He also died of a self-inflicted wound and was accused of a lot of uh, really gross uh, abuse, but that's neither here nor there. However, Debbie Gibson, uh, Debbie Gibson, listen to me, Debbie Boone's song, it wasn't always, it wasn't only Debbie Boone's song. Leanne Rimes eventually recorded a version of this song. Whitney Houston recorded a version of this song. So it became the type of cheese that a lot of balladeers decided that they wanted to go after. So now, Tim, what does all of this mean for your destiny? Well, here's what I would say. There is going to be some moment in your life when you are going to encounter something that feels so outside the scope of what you are used to that you're maybe going to want to turn away from it. 
that maybe it's going to be too rooted to your past, a past that you've tried to escape in the way that Pat Boone and Debbie Boone's music sounds kind of the same. Maybe it's going to come from a film and you're thinking about making music. You know, there's something, there's going to be something that's strange that bubbles up in your life and it's going to feel like a burr in your side. It's going to feel like the piece of the puzzle that doesn't fit because it's from a completely different puzzle. But here's the thing. That is the thing that you should pay attention to. The thing that is surprising, the thing that doesn't seem like it fits, is actually going to push you somewhere further. It actually doesn't fit inside the thing that you are currently experiencing because it's not supposed to. It's supposed to point you to something else, something bigger, something different. So if a crazy film soundtrack that kind of sounds like music that you've been trying to avoid, created by a crazy person, shows up in your life, or, you know, the metaphorical version of that, Explore it because it might lead to something that's so wildly important and impactful that you couldn't have anticipated in the beginning. And so, Tim, I will say this. You and all of our other patrons light up my life and you light up Sarah's life. And we thank you. And listeners, if you would like to get a Pop-Tart astrology reading of your own, all you have to do is shoot us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com. And now let's go back to Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. So, Sarah, you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation something that I thought was also quite striking, which is that this song, though globally important uh, in many ways, only peaked at number 36 on the Hot 100 yeah, in like, 1988. I mean, that is like shocking to me. And it, it's not just that it seems like it was sort of number one in our hearts from the moment that it showed up. It's like 36, like not even six yeah 36 well and i think it actually has a lot for mad men that's bullshit it has a it has a lot to do with the fact that hip-hop was not yet being embraced as a popular genre and weirdly for the time the fact that it got as high as number 36 is actually a testament to how popular it was because if you look at all of the hip-hop hits of the 80s the only one that made the top 10 was Walk This Way by Run DMC. And that's because they had Aerosmith on there giving them, um, giving rock radio programmers, quote unquote, permission to play the song. But like, right. fucking Push It didn't make the top 10. Push It didn't yeah. make the top 10, Sarah. Crazy. So I think that the charts here, though Shakira's hips may not lie, the charts do lie in this instance because this song is... It's in the groundwater at this point. And I was actually reading that as early as like 1990, Spin Magazine said it was the best single of all time. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, I don't, like, I, I can't really roll up with a with an argument. I mean, like, this is like, I mean, it's not like this because uh, Rob Bass did not gamble on baseball games that he was managing, but this is like <laughs> Pete Rose not being in the Hall of Fame. Like, he's already in there. He has more hits than anyone, and we all are still, like, talking about him all the time. Um, and uh, so it's like the fact that anyone who makes any declarative statement that scans roughly to, I want to blank right now. I mean, the number of times that my mother was trying to get me and my brother's acts together to leave the house. And she's like, I want to leave right now. And we would just like knee jerk be like, I'm from base that I came to get down. <laughs> and then we're just like, 
rapping to the car. My mother's like, I don't care what's happening here. Just get in the backseat and shut up. <laughs> uh, I want a dog right now. I'm Rebecca. I went share. to the pound. <laughs> we have a backseat that we want to share. Shut up. So what? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> So, Rob Bass is, you know, forever immortal. I cannot be the only one who does this. And then no, cannot and I stop like, with the entire rest of the song. I feel like you've opened up this this po- this game full of endless possibilities. Like, uh, okay, I want some socks right now, and I want them to be made of down. Or, uh, I mean, listen, it goes on forever. Mm-hmm. I want some lunch right now. And... The hash and and I want to eat some hash browns. I mean, the, like I said, this song is a gift in so many ways. Um, Thirty six is entirely inadequate to its stature, and um, I'm so glad that we got to talk about it and share a bunch of facts, and that I finally have an answer to that enduring mystery about sex versus sense or cess. Cess? <laughs> yes, because I, like you said, we apologize to all. To wait to Rob Bass and his issue. And his for... heirs and asides. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're mad. Wait, hold on. I want a podcast now. We're masked ass and we came to get down. Okay. We did. It didn't it didn't always work out, but that is what we came to do. <laughs> oh. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at bleav.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. Talk about songs, talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.